right, well, we've got a bit of a treat today because in our previous podcasts, we've had me uh, answering the questions, uh, but today we've got me asking them um, and Andrew Shaw answering them. Um, look, I'm sure you all know Andrew, but uh, Andrew is the firm's managing partner as well as leading the employment team uh, in Christchurch. So, Andrew, are you all over the fact we're going to be talking about the uh, proposed income insurance scheme today? I am, and thank you for volunteering me for this job. <laughs> There's plenty more where that came from. Um, so I guess just, just by way of background, so um, Andrew, you'll be aware of this, and many people listening will be aware of this as well, but when, um, over the last couple of elections, the Labor Party has talked about having some form of compulsory redundancy compensation. And I think I speak for a lot of employment lawyers when I say we thought that was going to be either forcing employers to pay it or some form of legislation that, that makes it compulsory. Um, but what we've kind of ended up with, what the proposal is, is actually a little bit bigger than that and it's a it's a wider income insurance scheme. So Andrew, do you want to talk us through what, what some of the key aspects of that are? Yeah, look the starting point is that New Zealand is one of the few countries in the OECD that doesn't have this type of protection. Um, and submissions on this uh, proposal uh, uh, ended up in uh, 26th of April this year. So where we're getting to is the government wants to bring legislation in, and, and if they're going to do that, they want to do it by 2023, which will be a bit of a task. But look, the key proposals are, firstly, it, it covers what they call displacement or redundancy, and it covers employees who are, uh, have a medical condition which prohibits them from working, and perhaps one that's not already covered by ACC. The, the cost, as you say, is going to be split between the employer and the employee, 1.39% each, so about 2.78% in total. Now, one of the issues is going to be, of course, will an employer pay for an employee's uh, portion of that? But some of the key aspects will include the first uh, four weeks of notice which the employer pays, and that's irrespective of what your notice period is if it's less. Secondly, a bridging payment, which is another four weeks at 80%. And then there's going to be a six-month payment which comes out of the scheme that the employers and the employees are paid into, which is at 80% over that six-month period. Now, that can be extended if there's some training uh, entitlements which, which are occurring. Um, also, the employee has to keep on looking for a job, and they can't turn down a reasonably good job. So if I'm uh, made redundant, and in this environment where there's a pretty low unemployment, uh, you would think they'd get off the scheme pretty quickly. Uh, noting, of course, the cap on the scheme is 130000 just under $131,000. So it's clearly a, a lot wider than, than just covering those who are, who are being made redundant. Um, in your view, what, what are some of the benefits of it? Look, I mean, one of the benefits is that for someone who is made redundant, it gives them time to find the right job. Whereas if you're made redundant at the moment and you don't have redundancy compensation, you might naturally take a job that's not right for you. So the government thinks that this will add to productivity and that the right people are getting the right job. For people who have a medical condition, it will allow them time to recover. And I think that's really important. Once you have this condition which prohibits you from working, you need time to recover, not racing back into a job and exacerbating the condition. And I think lastly, it, it provides for consistency amongst all employers throughout New Zealand, and I think that's really important. I guess that the other thing I want to add to that as well is I've always thought it's a bit of an inherent issue that 
financially you're better off in New Zealand to be hit by a bus, you'll be covered by ACC, uh, but if you get cancer, uh, there's no form of income protection for you. So I can see at a, at a high level why, why there's some benefits as well. Yeah, you're right. And, and what I think the original ACC scheme provided for was that you should go out and get private cover mm. for those matters aren't covered by ACC. But that's actually really costly, and especially as you get older. So not everybody can afford that. So what do you think some of the, because that sounds quite good at a high level, but what do you think some of the problems with this are going to be? Well, the starting point is uh, for an employee to have to pay out 1.39% of their wage or salary is really high. Um, for an employer to pay 1.39% of their whole payroll is really high. And if they decide, as I think many employers might consider, to pay the whole amount, 2.78%, is just yet another indirect tax that applies to employers and employees. The other problem is going to be that the, the levies will be collected by IRD, but administered by ACC. And at the moment, ACC is doing you know, a pretty good job, but they're stretched. And so you'll find that they've got this uh, massive potential uh, workload forced upon them at a time where they don't have the resources and they've got to go find it in low unemployment. Uh, and, and they'll have to come up to scratch with how this applies. I mean, they're used to dealing with people with injuries, not people who are made redundant. So there's going to be those sorts of issues, I think, as we go through. And I think a question I guess I've had from a lot of my clients, and Andrew, you might have had similar discussions as well, is what is the problem that the government's trying to solve? Because I guess unemployment is incredibly low at, at the moment, which is, which is a good thing. Um, but the downside of that is employers are struggling to get bums on seats. They're struggling to get staff. And I think if someone can sit at home and get paid 80% of their wages for a period of time, what, what's the rush for them to, to go out and, and get a new job? So I guess are you a little bit worried that this is going to, to result in some people sitting at home uh, and employers struggling to, to find people? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what the government's trying to solve is that they want to improve uh, the rate of productivity in New Zealand. And they say by not forcing people back into employment, either if they've got a medical condition or they're made redundant, that this will assist. I think they're also trying to resolve issues of vulnerable people, so people who can't afford income protection insurance if they get ill. And they're probably trying to resolve the issue of fairness amongst all employers. So there's those sorts of issues that I think the government's trying to resolve. Is it the right time to do it? Probably not in terms of the added costs on especially SMEs in New Zealand, uh, in terms of it being low unemployment already. But as I say, because we're one of the last countries in the OECD to come to this party, perhaps you know sooner rather than later is more important. Mm. Um, I think at the very beginning you said that at this stage this is just a, a policy, we're still waiting for the legislation, um, the government's intention is to get this through uh, next year and probably before, before the next election, but I guess without any draft legislation in front of you or, or a bill, what is some of the stuff we just don't know yet? Yeah, there's quite a bit, you know, will employers be able to pay the 1.39%? You know, will that be barred or will, will that be entitled? I suspect the legislation will allow that. Um, will the government allow a, an accredited employer type situation? So on ACC, you can opt out of the ACC scheme and have an accredited employer with a private company. Will they allow this here so that you can self-manage 
you know, yourself when you make people redundant or people uh, ill. Um, contractors, they talk about allowing contractors to apply if they most resemble employees. Well, what does that mean? Um, uh, casual employees, we have debates at the moment about what a casual employee is in terms of are they working regular hours and days, are they on a roster? Well, they will come under the scheme, but to what level? Um, if an employer is insolvent, you know, how, how will the government you know, provide for that? Do they just simply allow people on the scheme even if the employer hasn't paid towards it? Um, if the employee's notice is more than four weeks, do you reduce it down to four weeks or do they get their notice period and you don't worry about the bridging payment? So you can see there's a lot unresolved and that's no criticism. It's simply that it's a policy stage at the moment. When it gets into the legislative stage, we'll know more. And I guess the other thing as well, with any government proposal, often, often the public's first thought of as well, this will be taken advantage of. Mm. Um, and I guess f as employment lawyers, we see this all the time, right? What happens is, is an employer will start a process with an employee, um, whether that be a medical process, whether it be a performance process, whether it be a redundancy process, whatever. Um, and often employees will say, well, hang on, before we go down this road, why don't you just let me resign? Now, I would suggest that if there's a scheme like this in the background, employees might say, well, look, before you performance manage me or before you potentially terminate my employment for serious misconduct, why don't you just say I've been made redundant so I get this government, government scheme? Do you think there's any way and obviously we don't have the litigation, but do you think there's any way of mitigating that or do you just think this is, this is going to be a risk and it's going to be a free-for-all? Yeah, look, ways to mitigate it, in my view, would be firstly to educate employers and employees on the scheme, the entitlements, the benefits and so on. There'll be some people who unintentionally breach, there'll be some people who, who do it on an on a intentional basis. Secondly, I think there needs to be enforcement. So if people are found to have breached, very similar to the COVID payments in recent years, where you're found to have breached, the government needs to enforce. Now, again, they don't have the resources to do that. But thirdly, they need to publicise this enforcement. So it's a name and shame uh, process, which I think will get people to understand that to give an employee an extra 80% for six months, plus you know four weeks wages and four weeks bridging payment, might put them into more trouble than it's worth. Mm. All right, I'm going to go rogue and ask you one last unscripted question. Um, if you're the government tomorrow, in relation to this legislation, are you keeping it, are you getting rid of it, or are you just going to modify it? Um, Prime Minister Shaw, what's, your, what's yeah, your decision? My pick would be that we probably keep it. Yeah. Um, which will be a surprise to many people because of my uh, right-leaning tendencies. <laughs> but I, I do think that New Zealand and Australia are out of step with the OECD. I do think that a compulsory redundancy is, is important, and I do think that people who aren't able to apply for ACC um, uh, should get some compensation. However, there's always a proviso, I don't think now's the right time. I think this should be held off for a period of time to allow people to get over the shock of COVID, pandemics, lockdowns, and then bring it in when you know things are on the rise. Brilliant. All right, now that wasn't too painful. You'll come back for another podcast, won't you? No. Thank you, Fiona. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Andrew. Okay, bye.